Hey, everybody, let's, let's do a little Bible study today. Let's do a little German language study, and let's do a little people study as well. So if you're watching uh, at home, you can see something that just came up on your screen. If you're listening on the podcast, uh, allow me to describe it. It's just a little meme uh, to start the service. That's, it's kind of funny. It's, it's Jesus in you know, classic garb with his hand raised. He's addressing a crowd. And there are all these closely listening disciples around him. And what he's saying to them in the caption reads, Okay, everybody, now listen carefully. I don't want to end up with four different versions of this. And, of course, it's kind of a religious joke about the fact that we have four Gospels in our Bible, not just one. I know you're all laughing at that. It's a good one. Uh, but super timely because it gets us to today's Gospel lesson. Thanks very much to Kenzie for reading it. And, and the thing about that Gospel lesson is I know some of you have heard us do the little trivia thing before, which is uh, this story, the woman who anoints Jesus, along with the feeding of the 5,000, are the only two non-passion stories that appears in all four Gospels, which is really significant because the Christmas story isn't in all four Gospels. The, the Last Supper where Jesus talks about body and blood, that's not in all four Gospels. The Sermon on the Mount isn't in all four Gospels, but this story is in all four Gospels because it's important and Jesus wants to teach us something through it. And those four evangelists want us to learn something about it through it as well. So let's start with the Bible study. I'm just going to do a little comparison real quickly of how each of the four Gospels uh, takes the story and adjusts it uh, so their audiences can learn the most from it. So we're going to start with Mark and Matthew. Uh, they tell the story almost word for word the same. And the timing of the story in their Gospels is that it happens just before Holy Week starts. The star of the story is just a woman. She's not named. She's not described. Her critics are some people, undoubtedly men in this case, who were there observing. And what the woman does is that she pours a costly ointment over Jesus' head. And doing that was a form of anointing. The word Christ or Messiah means anointed one. And so it is a bold act of theology and maybe politics as well by this woman. What does Jesus generally say in this situation? He says, you always have the poor with you, but she is anointing me for burial. What he specifically says in this particular version is that what the woman has done will be told in memory of her wherever the gospel is proclaimed. And the theology in these two gospels is that the woman's actions declare Jesus to be the Christ. That's how Matthew and Mark use this story. Now let's go to Luke, the gospel that we're in all year. Uh, so usually it's John who's really different, uh, but with this particular story, it's Luke who's really different. So Luke shifts the, the timing of the story to very early in Jesus' ministry, right after the Sermon on the Mount. In uh, Luke's account, the woman is described as a woman of the city, which means she's a prostitute. Her critic is Simon, who's a Pharisee, who's critical of both the woman and of Jesus. And what the woman does is she pours both ointment and her tears on Jesus' feet and dries them with her hair. What Jesus generally says in this situation is that she repents much and therefore is forgiven much. What he specifically says to the woman is, your faith has saved you, go in peace. 
and the theology of this story as of this gospel as a whole that we are immersed in this year is, think back last week to the, the story of the prodigal son, is that God's forgiveness is more abundant than any of our sins. Amazing good news. And finally, John's gospel, the one that Kenzie read from us, for us before. Uh, we get to John's gospel, even though we're in Luke this year, uh, all of the, the, the years sample a little bit from John's gospel. So uh, this week we happen to have John with this story. So like Mark and, and, and Matthew, he places us just before Holy Week. In this case, the woman is named, and it's Mary, the close friend of Jesus and the sister of Martha and Lazarus, so a very esteemed person. Her critic is specifically Judas Iscariot in this story. What she does is she pours the ointment on his feet and dries it with her hair. There are no tears in this story, just the ointment and her hair. Jesus says, again, this is for my burial. You always have the poor. Specifically, he says to Judas, in defense of Mary, leave her alone. And the theology of the story is that it anticipates what's coming in the very next chapter. The woman models for Jesus, and at some level, Jesus uh, maybe learns from Mary uh, the importance of anointing and washing feet. And that's what he's going to do with the disciples in John chapter 13. So that is a quick overview of how these four Gospels uh, each use this story. But what we should focus on today is how John uh, shares it to us, what we should learn from John, and actually what we should learn from this story, regardless of which Gospel writer is, is passing it on to us. So this is where we get to the German lesson. Okay, so I'm going to run three German words by you today. The first two, I think, are well-known, especially here in southeastern Wisconsin. The third one is made up by your own pastor, John Horner Eibler, specifically for this sermon. So let's see how they go. So the first word is schadenfreude. I think a lot of you know that word. Uh, literally, it means joy at someone else's pain or sadness. And so it's that very human feeling we get when somebody who's kind of the bad guy, someone who's hurt us, uh, someone who we don't like very much, has something bad happen in their lives and we feel kind of good about it. Um, there are a lot of ways that that happens, but let's just keep it kind of light and think of how it happens in sports. I mean, it's, it's what happens when the, the Yankees or the Dodgers lose. It's what happens when Tom Brady loses. It's what happens maybe this weekend when Mike Krzyzewski loses. I mean, it's all these people who are like winning all the time and we all kind of get sick of them winning all the time and we're kind of happy when they lose. That's, that's schadenfreude at its very superficial level. It goes a lot deeper than that and we're all kind of aware of that in ourselves. So that's one word from German at kind of one spectrum of the human emotional response. Um, one that's kind of wonderfully in the middle, gets used a lot around this part of the country, is Gemütlichkeit. Sort of untranslatable, but ah, it's just that feeling of hanging out with friends where you can just be yourself. At, so, I don't know, think Thanksgiving dinner, think playing cards with your friends, think uh, sitting outside on a summer day, sipping something cool, and just shooting the breeze uh, with people that you, you know you can trust and they trust you, and it's just super relaxed and wonderful. That's gemütlichkeit. It's, it's a wonderful thing in the, in the midst of our human emotions. But now, neither of those describe, I think, what's going on in today's gospel lesson. And it's interesting that in all four gospels, it doesn't matter who's telling it, uh, the woman always does something kind of amazing. 
It's, it's intimate, it's generous, actually extravagant. It's highly personal and, and it's affirmational of Jesus' identity or the sacrifice he's about to make. In other words, she does an awesome thing no matter how the to story is told and no matter how the story is told, uh, someone who's a bystander is, is angry at her for doing that. What gives with that? Why, why would you be angry at somebody doing a good thing? This gets us to this brand new German word that I made up just for the sermon. There it is. Wutgut. Well, what does that mean? Wut means fury. A lot of you know, know that gut just means good. So to me, it's fury or being upset at something that's actually good, and that's what's going on in this story, right? And that's kind of a universal human response as well, if we're honest with ourselves. In other words, it explains why in each case the woman could do something awesome, and, and the people surrounding her could respond with such vehemence. Now, to be honest, it should be clear that she's a woman, and the people who respond negatively to her are unanimously men in these stories. And so there is a male-female component. This happens in a world where the men have all of Jesus' attention, and now suddenly this woman comes along and steals that away from them by doing something that they probably should have done. They should have anointed him. They should have been, been hugging him and supporting him in this time of duress, but none of them had done that, and this woman comes along and does it, whoever it is. And their response to that is what? It's good. There, there's, there's this shame within them, this fury within them, this embarrassment within them, this sense of competition for Jesus' attention. And, and they respond as they do. And they do something that we all kind of do as well when we feel like we've lost somebody's attention, right? We, we try and get it back by something that we think they'll like. So in this story, they, they, or at least in three of the versions, uh, they all know that Jesus is, is there for the poor. And, and so their, their reaction is to say, ooh, how will we get him back on our side? Ooh, Jesus, what? She's wrong. She should have sold it and given it to the poor. Of course he'll like that, right? And Jesus' response is so often taken out of context as if he does not care about the plight of the poor. And of course, it's the exact reverse. What he is essentially saying to them is, don't bring the poor into this. Because they are always being pushed down and my ministry has been to lift them up. But in this case, this woman is aware that I am not going to be here for long and she is doing something generous for me. And that's got nothing to do with the poor. In other words, he pushes back at their attempt to get his attention again. And see, now this gets us to the life lesson that all of us can be working on this week, which is this. Goodness is not a competition. Uh, goodness comes from God, and it's infinite. Um, and, and, and God isn't into a competition. God doesn't set us against each other to compete for divine attention. But it's still a part of our natural response, that when somebody else does something cool and awesome, it's true, we sometimes are jealous of it or we feel inferior because of it or not paid attention to because of it. And, 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 and I think the reason this gospel lesson is there for us is to, is to remind us that goodness in difficult situations, I mean, opening the door for someone saying thank you, those are entry-level goodnesses and those are good. But being good in difficult situations 
being aware that Jesus is about to die is a difficult situation. Being good in difficult situations is really hard and something I think we mostly have to learn in life. And so most of the time when we find ourselves in difficult situations in life, we blow it. We, we don't do the right thing or the good thing or the generous thing. And, and the thing is, rather than put ourselves down for that or, or internalize other people putting us down for it, I think it's really important for us to instead realize there's no way I could have known how to handle that situation. It was really hard. But then you see somebody else who does handle it with grace or insight or generosity or wisdom. And, and you learn from them. And, and our best selves affirm them for that and praise them for that and, and are awed by, by whatever hard knocks it took them to learn that response. But having seen it, then the next time we are in a hard situation, perhaps we mimic that. Perhaps that gives us insight that we didn't have before so that in some totally different situation, we can respond with a goodness that, that wells up within us and who knows where it comes from. Perhaps the Spirit of God, hey? These are the things that we work at learning in life. Goodness is abundant. It's from God. It's not a competition. We, we don't instinctively apply it. We make a lot of mistakes. Don't put yourself or others down when they can't be perfect in hard situations. Instead, we learn from each other and get better at sharing goodness, which is why a long, long time ago, those four gospel writers who wrote in totally different places to totally different gospels knew of this story and they thought to themselves, it has to be in there. People need to hear this part of the good news. Hey, it speaks for itself.